You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, what uh, what compels you to press the forward button? You know what I'm talking about. You get one of those emails, they stir you up inside a little bit and you reach for that section that says forward and you look at the address book and everyone you can think in sight it's going to go to. Uh, I had one of those emails the other week and it was about um, the fact that apparently the White House has decided to um, drop the term Christmas tree uh, this year and use the word holiday tree. And uh, it's quite appropriate that we've got our Christmas tree up tonight and it's looking beautiful and wonderful and representative of this season. And um, now the, the good thing is, here's my tip, before you press forward, go to a... Um Go to a site called truthorfiction.com because uh, when you do, you'll find out that it, the email was actually really a bit of a hoax. And so it's okay. The Obamas are calling their Christmas tree a Christmas tree this year. We don't have to freak out as Christians. It's all good. And luckily, I didn't forward it on. But why am I using it tonight if it's all a hoax and a fake? Okay, I guess what I'm getting at is that, that look, it's, it's, it, it, we know it's representative of a tide that is going out in our country and countries around the world where the word Christmas uh, is somehow um, fading away. And, and more and more, whether it be magazine articles, whether it be newspapers, whether it be shops, um, we're finding that our society wants to extract the principles of Christmas away from the person of Christmas, Jesus Christ. What we're going to find in this passage tonight is you can't do that. You can't do that. When it comes to the doctrine of the incarnation, what they're trying to do is impossible. And you can't take the principles of Christmas away from the person of Christmas without it collapsing. You see, it's because we have a founder of a religion here who claims to be the absolute truth. And if you receive him, you have it. If you reject him, you don't. And you can't take the principles of Christmas or Christianity, for that matter, without all collapsing. Why? Because when you get to the teaching tonight, we'll find in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, this is like the mountaintop of uh, theology and of passages in the Bible. When you get to the teaching tonight, you find that unlike every other religion in the world, God became a human. And John says it here in verse 14 of his first chapter in the prologue there. We've been going through it all. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, some of you, if you know me, I know that I've, I've always been a little bit of a, a political sort of guy, even from my early days. I just love politics. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing. One of my uh, highlights of, uh, of Paul Keating's uh, career and his um, prime ministership was his um, defeat speech in 1996. Uh, not, not because he was defeated. I'm not that far down the right-hand side, but it was more because um, he's there in the crowd and, and, and someone should have shouted up to him there and said, you can take the boy out of Bankstown, but you can't take Bankstown out of the boy. And it was something that we've, uh, it's been renowned, it's always been attributed to Paul Keating that you could take the boy out of Bankstown, but you couldn't take the Bankstown out of the boy. And in some ways, I think that is almost the catch cry of the incarnation tonight. You can take the boy out of heaven, <laughs> But you can't take heaven out of the boy. You can't extract the principles of Christmas from the person 
of Christmas in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's the theological definition is that what we see in Jesus here from this verse is that he is fully God and he is fully man. He is unlike any other person in this world in that he's a 200% person. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. And that what, what it means and what this one verse in setting Christianity apart, apart from every other religion in the world, it sets it out apart because God became a man. God became a person in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, what I want to say tonight is that if God became a person, then how we relate to him, how, when we ask the question, well, how do we relate to God? We could just do a bit of relationship 101. How you relate to God, what we'll see tonight in this passage is that you can get God, understand him. You can also see that God gets you in the relationship and that you get each other. Simple sort of stuff. First and foremost, the incarnation means that you can get God. You can get God because God became a, a human. This is the amazing part that God in all his majesty comes down, becomes a human, becomes a person, has skin on. And why is this so important? Because there's a, there is a massive difference between having an experience of God and getting God, knowing God, knowing him intimately. There's a massive difference. How do I, how do I put it? Um, is anyone here a fan of live music? Yeah, we've got a few musos. We all like, why do we, look, why do we love live music? Why don't we just, why don't we just sit at home with the CDs there and kicking our legs on the bed, just listening away to the little boombox that we've got there in the room? And, and, uh, and w- w- why don't we always just say to the, stay with the CDs? We just, we love the music. We fall in love, we fall in love with it. We get to know all the lyrics and we're singing along to it. Get karaoke machines if you're that into it. And it's fun. We love music. But you see, when we go to a concert, here's the thing. We witness an incarnation of the CD. It almost visually is like that when you see the artist almost come up out of the stage, if, particularly if it's a rock style concert and that sort of thing. And, and so we see an incarnation of the music. It's the same music, it's the same experience, but it's richer because here they are in the flesh. And, and, and in a certain way, you get, they talk to you, you get insights, they interact with the crowd and they relate to you in some way. But the problem, of course, is it's only in a specific way, particularly if you're like me, when I go to a concert, I always end up in seat 156 of row ZZ. And that's, that's no way to relate to the incarnated person of the CDs that I listen to. And that, look, that's aside from the fact that most of the people I listen to are dead or um, old and washed up because they're from the 1980s. But, um, <coughs> but I, I experienced that. I took, I took Kristen to see Taylor Swift the other year. Uh, that's, uh, that's my cover, at least. And... Um, and people were just crazy for Taylor Swift. They just, you know, they were, they were we, we heart you, Taylor, all this sort of stuff. They just love Taylor Swift. And, and I was there and then just watching all this go crazy. And, and you could see that the ones that were the most excited were the ones with these little gold bits of plastic attached to a lanyard. And you would see them walk through and the big beefy security guards would wave them into these areas with this special access. These gold cards, people would ask, what are they? And, and of course, we all know them. We all want one. Backstage passes. I mean, if only we had a backstage pass, we, we would have known, you know, what Selena Gomez is really like and, and, and who Taylor hangs out with and what she likes to eat for breakfast and, and all this. We could, have, we could have known all that. But you see, it's, it's one thing to have an experience of the person. It's another thing to get to know them intimately. Right? 
Now, that was a great problem for God all throughout the Bible, is that to, 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 to come to know God, when you, when you look throughout the Bible, that was a great problem. Whenever you saw God, in the, the, whenever people wanted to see God, they found it hard to relate to him. Job, to Job, he was a whirlwind. To Abraham, he was a smoking furnace. To Moses, he was a pillar of a smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like, talk about unrelatable. Um, it, was, it was a tough gig. And up until the point of Jesus, here's the thing, God was a terrifying abstraction, Right? It's hard to relate to a pillar of smoke and fire. <laughs> and, and you see, even, even Moses, Moses got what every person wants deep down. He went up onto Mount Sinai and, he, and he, he came as close as he could to get to this uh, smoky, fiery, all-consuming God. And he says, God, show me your glory. I want to see it. And God says, are you serious, Moses? That'll kill you. I'll, I'll let you see my, my hind parts. But, but that's it. And that's the way it was for centuries that people just couldn't relate to God. You see, the greatest barrier to faith, wouldn't you agree, is abstraction. It's very difficult to place your trust in a concept, right? And maybe that's some of the issues that your friends have in the world, is I can't believe in God, he's just it's too abstract. Even one of Jesus' followers echoed the same thing in John's Gospel. In the later parts, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been you, been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, Philip. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. You know what Philip's saying there? He, 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 was, he was asking the same thing that Moses was asking up on Sinai there. He's saying, Jesus, can I have a backstage pass to God? And what we don't get up until the point of Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? He says, Phil, don't you understand? I am the backstage pass to God. No need to sit off in seat 156 row ZZ anymore when it comes to knowing God. You can know him intimately, the nuances about him. Look, the world, God's creation is his great soundtrack. But because of Jesus Christ, God becoming human, you now get to know the nuances, the complexities the meanings, the motivations behind the great artist, the great creator. Because of Jesus, if God's a person, then you can get God. But not only that, because um, God became a human, and a human is God, that's what we see in the incarnation, is that God gets you. Now, I don't know if this year you remember that tragic story of little Yu Yu in China. She was... um, the little toddler that was run over in a, in a Chinese market by a van. The van ran over and not once, but twice. And as um, the poor little thing lay there in a, a pool of blood on the CCTV cameras, and the sh- footage is quite shocking, CCTV cameras recorded somewhere in the vicinity of 18 people. Walk up, look at her, and just keep walking. And we see footage like that and we say, what is the world coming to? What is the world coming to? Where is God in all this? What, what is God doing in all this pain and this suffering? What, what would he know? You know and, and we do come to situations like that. And sometimes we view God a bit like our politicians. You know, I was listening to AM radio this week, as I normally do. I will confess that. But... Um, there, there are um, people getting outraged about the state of traffic in Sydney. 
Talk about suffering in a whole nother level. Um, the, the, the traffic was just absolutely manic. And you know how people go about the, the politicians. You know, the transport minister, Gladys Berejiklian, which is our local member, by the way, so she's doing a great job. Um, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't know what's going on. She's sitting up there in an ivory tower and, and she would have no idea what the traffic's like. And aren't we like that? <laughs> These pollies would have no idea what, what, what it's like to be a real person down here. And then, and then we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know, John's, John's saying God didn't stay in his ivory tower. He came from the tower. And if God became truly human, then we've got a remarkable resource to face pain and suffering in the world. You hear what I'm saying here? If, 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 if man is God and God is a man and he dwelt among us, as Dorothy Sayers puts it, listen to what she says here. She says, the incarnation means that for, that for whatever reason that God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited to suffer and to be subjected to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and at least the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors and pain and humiliation defeat, despair and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain for all of us and thought it was well worth his while. You know what she's saying there? She's saying, look, if God was a transport minister, he would sit in the traffic. He, he would battle the M2, even amongst the roadworks and all the craziness that is going on there. Well, look, the Bible has so much to say and throws so much light on the reasons for and the meaning and suffering and uh, the meaning of suffering and evil in the world. Uh, however, the Bible doesn't give us an exhaustive answer as to why, but what it does show us, and, and it gives us something far more valuable, and we get it in the hints and the songs and the carols that we sing when we see that phrase in God, mighty counsellor. God in Jesus Christ is the great counsellor and the best counsellors, I don't know about you, but are those that have been, Graham was talking about this this morning, those that have been through what you are currently going through. They're, they're, they're the best counsellors, the one that have been through the hardship, pushed throughout the other side and are able to walk with you. And look, having been through it myself and, and most people who've gone through grief and, and bereavement and challenges and suffering know that the last thing they need, right, is a set of intellectual answers. Instead, they just, they just need the presence of a friend who has been through it. And when God became a man and went through all the pain and suffering that he went through, he brought with him the presence of a friend who has been through it. See what it means? See what John is saying if God has become human? If God is Jesus and Jesus is God, then God's been through it. We, look, we stare at the horrors of little you-you and see the atrocity and the tragedy that is there that she's left there to die. Yet at the cross, God himself got backed over by a truck. God in Jesus was just as helpless. God in Jesus was just as innocent. God in Jesus was just as abandoned as a three-year-old toddler on a market floor. While scores of uninterested onlookers turn the other way. You see what the doctrine of the incarnation does it gives us a resource for suffering that nothing else in the world does because when we stop and look and see at the god of christianity what we see in that is only the christian god descends into the world and becomes vulnerable and suffered and died himself and so in other words the incarnation not only means that you can get god but it means god gets you it means god gets the challenges that you've got in your family life at the moment god gets the restrictions that you're facing with your financial situation. 
God gets the loneliness that you currently are experiencing. God gets the grief that you're feeling through the loss of a loved one. He lost his own son. God gets you. God can get you because he became human. And so finally we see that we can not only get God and God can not only get us, but he can, we can both get each other. That's what relationship is about, right? I don't, don't know about you, but have you always sort of seen those cheesy couples? Always so smiley. Oh, we just get each other. Yeah. You know, we just, we so get each other that we just, you know, we complete each other's sentences. We even dress the same. You know, like those sorts of people that yeah, we, we just get each other. And look, and I've discovered since having been married for a couple of years that getting each other runs far deeper than completing each other's sentences. If I could just even get a hint of what some of the sentences would be by this stage, it'd be good. But it. <laughs> But it's not so much about completing each other's sentences. It's not about sentences, it's about submission to one another. That's what I learned in the incredible commitment that is marriage. And I'm still just a, yeah, just a jockey, a rookie at, at, at all. Look, what I want to say is in getting each other, if Jesus is God and God is Jesus, then he is to be absolutely obeyed. And submitted to. That sounds really upfront and confronting when we say it like that. And I know the modern, it's because the modern person today, they're afraid of that. They're afraid. We hate the idea of absolute authority over our lives. We hate the idea that, that of absolute obedience. We hate the idea of submitting to someone else. I want to do my own thing. And sometimes you get near a church and you could hear that you need to obey sort of stuff. And look, it's, it's true to an extent, but what I want to get us to tonight is that unless you see that the obedience that Jesus demands is actually a matter of personally dealing with him, with him as a person, if you don't get that, you won't understand Christian obedience at all. Look, let me explain. Here's, here's, a, here's an object. It's a book. And I can take this book. It's called the Bible. And I can read it. I can pick it up and I can turn to the pages when, when I, I want, but the book's not a living thing. It doesn't make any demands of my life. It doesn't sit there on my study desk of a morning and say, read me. You never read me anymore. It doesn't say that. It's an object in the same way that I, you know, I use my car, I use a fork. Um, we, we, we can use objects for things. And, but that's how we relate to objects. But here's a question. How do you relate to a person? A person's a higher order of being than a fork. And look, if you, if you need to relate to a person, as I'm finding out, you need to find their needs and their goals and what they want for their birthday and all sorts of stuff. You, you need to surrender your will to the needs of that person to relate to them and, and, and be willing in many cases to actually put your goals underneath that person's goals and wants and aspirations. You can't, here's the thing, you can't relate to someone without to, to some degree submitting to them. There's no relationship in the world, that, a healthy relationship at least, that doesn't operate like that. Now, here's the question. When we get to God and if God's a person, how do we relate to God? The only, the only way to relate to a, a beginningless and all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful person is to surrender yourself completely to him. And don't you see? Because the more personal relationship gets, the more you've got to serve. That's what I'm discovering. Oh, I loved it the way that uh, one commentator put it like this. Look, if you took the distance between the earth and the sun and said that was a sheet of paper, then the distance to the nearest star in our galaxy would be about uh, 30 or so metres high, 30 metres worth of paper. 
And then if you took the, the, the diameter of the Milky Way, then the distance of that would be some 500 kilometers worth of reams of paper. And yet in verse 3 of this passage, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You know what it's saying? It's saying Jesus Christ holds all of this in his hand. And the Milky Way, this 500-kilometer ream of paper, is just a speck on his pinky finger. How do you relate to someone like that? Is that, is that the sort of person... Is that the kind of person that you ask into your life just to be your assistant? Your PA? How do you relate to him? Do you say, look, listen, Lord, I don't want to deal with you every day. I don't want to revolve my life around you. But when I've got a problem, I want you to be there. In other words, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. Is, is it even possible that you could relate to someone of that magnitude and gravity in that particular way? Look, do you, do you ask Jesus into your life just to make applications to you, just to speak little chunks of the Bible? I, I know you tell me how to love my enemies there, Jesus, but, you know, it's sort of not working for me at the moment. Life's getting crazy and, um, you know, I, I, I can see where you're going with it and I think it's a good idea, but you, you know what? I'm sort of running out of time here. I've got to get going. Are you asking this person into your life just to make applications to you? You can't take a person like that, let alone a personal God of that magnitude, and ask them into your life to be another version of Siri on the iPhone for us. You get what I'm saying? Because here's why. That sort of, that sort of God, the sort of God that hangs around and just comes to you when you call him, there can't be a God like that. The, the creator of the universe can't possibly operate that. And here's why. You don't even have friends in your life that would operate on that sort of level personally, right? You don't even have friends that operate where you just call them up at the beck and call whenever you need them. They're, they're gone by now. They don't, they don't survive over that long period of time. And so therefore you cannot know him personally. That is, you can't get each other unless you are willing to obey and to submit to him. And you must submit to him. And here's why. Here's why, because whenever Jesus calls us into obedience, we get scared. And yet he promises us that if we're willing to come in and to submit our lives to him, there is an adventure and a greatness and a joy and a fulfillment that we couldn't possibly imagine. When God calls you into absolute obedience, look, you get scared. I get scared and oppressed because, you know, here's what we ask. We think, well, what if he asks me something to do something that I don't want to do? And you know the answer to that? Of course he's going to ask you something that you don't want to do. <laughs> That's part of what submission is all about. But the, look, uh, think of it this way. The last relationship in the world that looks like that is the relationship of an athlete to a coach. Can you imagine a young kid who's in university who wants to be a superstar basketballer and so they get the best coach in the country to come down and to be with them. And uh, this coach is revered amongst all those at the Australian Institute of Sport and they come down and he says, Coach, I want to be a great basketballer, but you know what? I, I don't want you to ask me to do anything that I don't want to do. Is that cool? <laughs> you, think, you think a coach of that precision and that experience is going to accept that premise? Of course not. And the coach says, that's exactly why I'm here. Of course I'm going to train you into the ground. Of course I'm going to make you do that last push-up when you, don't, when you feel like you can't take any more. Of course I'm going to make you do things that you don't want to do. But here's the thing, I'm a coach. And if you give yourself to me, I will make you everything you want to be. And as Jesus said, the ultimate coach 
If you're truly my followers, you will, obey, you will obey my truth and the truth will set you free. This coach comes into your life to give you guidelines and, and principles and disciplines to turn you into the greatest human being you could ever possibly be. You can't possibly ask him into, into your life and, and not expect him to expect that of you. Look, no one has ever, you know this, no one's ever achieved greatness in their field by just hanging around. <laughs> no one's ever done it without submitting themselves to a re- regime of discipline and obedience. Half of your careers are like that. You know that. You work hard and you study hard and you find a freedom on the other side of it that is wonderful and amazing and you reap the rewards for, from it. Here's the question. Do you expect the Christian life to be any different? You're built, for an, you're built for obedience and submission to God in relationship because he's a person. You know, see, outside the truth, you like when I used to go fishing and we'd catch a fish and it'd be flapping around there on the wharf a little bit and I would take the hook out and I was one of those cruel fishermen as a little kid. I never would put it in a bucket of water, a bucket of water and it would flap about there on the wharf until it would get slower and slower and slower. But I don't know if it's been your experience, but it's time to go and you pack it up and it looks too small so I throw it back in. And the minute that thing hits the water, tail comes to life and it skirts back. It looked virtually dead there on the wharf. What I'm trying to say is, outside of a relationship of obedience to God, you're like a flapping fish on the side of the wharf gasping for air. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in total submission and obedience to him, then you're just gasping for air. But, but, but if you're willing to move into that relationship, you're going to move into water that your tail is going to flick and fly and you're going to be brought back to a new life in a way that you never thought possible. You were built for obedience to him. So that's the only way that you were going to get him. If God is a person, then what is true of any healthy human relationship is true of your relationship with him. You won't get each other unless you submit to him. Why? Because God's not an abstraction or an object. Instead, the incarnation tells us that God is a person. You've got to get him. So, guys, you can, you can take the boy out of Christmas, but you can't take the Christmas out of the boy God is who he is and he's not an abstraction, he's a person. It means there are differing ways in which each and every one of us are going to relate to him tonight. Um, It means that some people here tonight have had an experience of God, but you don't know him yet. You're still sitting in row ZZ, seat 156. And what I want to tell you tonight in this ministry time is, I've got some backstage passes. If you really want to know God, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that tonight. You can know him personally. You can get him. For others, it's tough to relate to God because of what you're going through at the moment and I feel for you. And you're saying, what would he know? And he gets you. He gets you. He's been through it all. Jesus Christ never calls you into a life or to do anything in life that he hasn't been through himself. He's a great counsellor. And for some of us Christians, it means some of us could be treating God in a manner that we wouldn't even treat our own friends. (laughs) That is, uh, as a personal assistant up there with Siri. (laughs) Guys, uh, how are you relating to God this week? Are you submitting your life to him? You see the challenge, see the challenge that in the incarnation brings us at Christmas? You can't separate the principles from the person. Every other religion, it's not the person that saves, it's the principles, right? The religious leader tells you the principles that find your way to another life or salvation or joy. And Christianity doesn't work that way. It's far more realistic. It says the, the, the principles of life, it's not about the principles of life there. It says you can't live the sort of life that you owe God. So God himself comes in and lives it for you. 
lives it perfectly. And if you receive him in Jesus Christ, you'll get his life, not his principles. And if you reject him, you'll lose it. You know, my question is, what are you going to do with him tonight? What are you going to do with Jesus tonight? Are you feeling a bit squeezed? That's what a person does to you. Abstractions let yourself justify and work out whatever, however you want to mould things. People don't let you do that. And Jesus Christ is not a fence sitter. What are you going to do? Look, I, I look at it. Jesus, Jesus is like one of those quirky, quirky friends that knocks on your front door at the most unexpected of times. You know, you know what it's like. <laughs> you look out the little, little curtain. You go, "Oh my goodness, it's them again." And you turn the television off and you wind down the stereo and, and, and you are faced with a choice as you are tonight. You're thinking, the place is a mess. My place is a mess. I'm in my Ugg boots. I haven't done my hair. Look, he doesn't care about that. He knocks at the door and like that quirky friend. You are, you are faced with a choice tonight. Are you going to sit there in the corner turning down the stereo hoping that he might go away? Or are you going to invite him in? You can't do that with an abstraction, but you can do it with a person. God became a person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can get you, that you're not some weird concept tonight. And Lord, I just pray that uh, some of the the, the concepts we have been talking through tonight, Lord, are, are just the great pinnacle of this amazing book that is the Bible. Father, we just want to praise you and thank you tonight for the fact that you have broken into this world in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, will you help us this week dwell upon the fact that hundreds of people testified uh, that this man, Jesus, was resurrected, was living, was breathing, was alive again. Um, How can we account for that, Lord? And although we are all these years on from those moments in which he was here in the flesh and blood on this earth, everything around us tonight screams that you are a God that is alive and intimately involved with your people. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that if there are people stirring that have had experiences of you, that they, uh, they might just feel relaxed enough in this place to come and explore what it means to truly follow you and submit their lives to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, will you help us with that this week? It's not easy. We always want to do our own thing and go our own way. But we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will move us into even greater levels of commitment to you uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this now in his name. Amen.